I really benefited from like an analytical approach to even if it was literature or history or otherwise, like I think there's that inquisitive nature. And I think hopefully everyone gets it at some level, whether it's formally in a school or elsewhere. But, you know, that idea of challenging ideas and just thinking critically as a critical thinker, I think was something that I embraced earlier on. I was actually on the debate team. It was one of my favorite activities. And I just remember that interesting discipline, which is you go into a debate and my daughter right now is is on the debate team. And I love <laughs> yeah. it. One, I have three kids. One of them's And I just love the idea that, you know, you take this argument and you're required to argue one side in the morning and then you have to argue the other side in the afternoon. And I think that kind of way of thinking about the world, I think, is is tremendously important. That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high-achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. John Patrickoff is the CEO and co-founder of Athletes Unlimited a new innovative network of professional sports leagues for women. Founded in 2020 with Jonathan Soros, Athletes Unlimited is committed to creating sports spaces from a player-led and player-driven perspective. It's a completely unique idea where the players are leading the charge. John wanted to get innovative about professional sports leagues. Sports are an important part of society. They know and they felt they could be approaching them better. Him and his partner were committed to reimagining not just the professional athlete experience, but also the fan journey, wanting to create something less reliant on geography and more empowering to female athletes and fans who they felt had been underserved in the market. I love John's passions for female-focused sports and the unique idea behind Athletes Unlimited. But I wanted to start out by asking him about his early influences and how they helped shape him into who he is today. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. And it's fun to be talking to you from New York and from New York City, a city we both love and has played a a big part in definitely in shaping me and subsequently my entire career. I mean, I think the biggest factor early on probably in my life was, was probably my mom and her embrace of, I'll say, philanthropy and also uh, a lot of time that she spent in other communities within New York City. And I was exposed very at a very young age, I would say, to what was going on around me, different parts of the city. When I graduated from high school, actually, a little later, I, instead of going right to college, I actually took a, a, what's now, I guess, called a gap year. Yeah. And I spent some time overseas, but then I came back and I actually worked up in East Harlem for a state senator. I was really interested in politics and government early on in my, early on in my life and urban development and what was going on in the city. And I, I actually worked for a real estate developer in Brooklyn, uh, for city Ratner at a very interesting time when kind of things sure. were happening in the outer boroughs. And honestly, a lot of the kids I probably grew up with and spent their time mostly, if not entirely on the island of Manhattan. And so for, in the late nineties, it's, it's, Obviously not a, a big deal now at all, but back then to you know to be taking a subway to my internship <laughs> in Brooklyn or going up to East Harlem, I think I really felt comfortable and embraced the city, all its diversity, and also really prided myself. Um, and this probably comes from my my father, who's a venture capitalist, and, and I grew up around somebody who was always looking at new businesses, new ideas. I think I always was gravitated towards maybe what people weren't focused on, and I kind of shied away a little bit from the mainstream 
mainstream. I mean, I went mainstream in a lot of aspects of my life and my career. But then when you really would have, when I got there, I always tried to find, I think, a niche or an opportunity that maybe wasn't being looked at or wasn't being seen. And so I think those have really been things that have consistently shaped my my career and did start at a, at a young age. Yeah, I love how your mom, you know, as you talk about her and how she opened your eyes to these things, it's it's something living in New York City today with my own daughters, I really try and do because it's so incredible. You know, you could be walking down the street and could be the wealthiest person in the world. It could be a homeless person. There, there's a lot of economic diversity. There's a lot of diversity just from culturally. But what I love most about it, which it seems like it shaped a lot of, of your life, is in New York City, you actually got to see these people. They're become friends, work with them. And to me, and I don't know if it was for you, it really just opened my eyes. And instead of sitting up in Westchester, right, where, you know, wherever it might be that there's just so many different types of people and so many opportunities to help. Was that your experience as well? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it was, I, I think that again, just less so I, I don't want to come off sounding like a saint or, or really yeah. focus on the altruism piece of this. I mean, I think more, I almost think how this shapes my business perspective. And I think my business perspective is shaped and, and my career development perspective is, is shaped by kind of two things. One is a real belief in doing the hard work, learning a real emphasis on academics. I worked incredibly hard. I, I was not a naturally gifted student. I do pride myself on how hard I worked and how much I did engage intellectually at a high school level and then at a college level. Those were really big factors in my life. And I think doing that hard work, and it's interesting when I came out of, of school and I went and took this job in strategic planning at Disney or that I went into private equity and I spent a lot of time with my head in a computer uh, long hours, working weekends, working on spreadsheets, learning the language of finance, not things that honestly I loved or, or did, but but I, I really did do the hard work. But then combining that with a level of creativity. And I think I think that I do find the business world, even the worlds of finance, you know, there, there are creative fields. I mean, it, it does require, I think, a level of kind of seeing opportunity where people don't see it, what is going to happen in the future, having a perspective on the world. And I think I was able to kind of merge those two. And I think those have been the two big influences in my life, which is really get the work done, really understand fundamentally. I, I believe in the real importance of understanding how finance works, how spreadsheets work, how you create value, how investors think about value, but then really being able to, to look at the world. And it does dovetail very well with where I am today with Athletes Unlimited and women's sports, because you know I've told this to many people before, but in 2018, when I started the journey of really thinking intellectually about the opportunity in women's sports, when I went out and talked to even the existing owners or talk to federations or to certainly talk to sponsors, I got so many no's, no's, this is a terrible idea, don't go do this. And hopefully what I did was process that information. But again, I do credit myself for seeing opportunities where maybe other, some others don't and being a little early. Now, I'll counter that with saying sometimes being early isn't necessarily good because timing, you can get in way too early in things. And so on the other hand, and there's certainly in the case of women's sports and people who are doing this for 50 years, and certainly people at the WNBA who've been running pro leagues for a much longer time than I am. So I'm certainly not a pioneer in any way, shape or form in, in women's pro sports. But, but nonetheless, I think it's the ability to look at problems, see them a little differently, see them as, as opportunities. Yeah. And, and, and certainly I'd like to get into athletes unlimited and, and, and talk to you about that because I do believe, and from talking to a lot of people personally, having myself a background in sports, there's only a couple places. If you look at it now, okay, a woman can go to the WNBA and this is 2022, right? Or 
there's not many options and there's not many opportunities. And especially as I said, having girls, you know, you really want to see that. And, um, you know, that to me is, is so important. And I think you're definitely early, but hopefully right on time. And I'm just glad that you're really going out there and doing this. And, you know, I want to ask you, where do you think that drive comes from personally for you because you have done a lot of these things and you're not stopping, you're continuing. Yeah. I mean, I guess I would, again, go back and give credit. I give credit to a couple of things. One is I really believe that I benefited heavily again from an education in, I went to a great school here in New York city called, called collegiate. And I really benefited from like an analytical approach to even if it was literature or history or otherwise, like I think there's that inquisitive nature. And I think hopefully everyone gets it at some level, you know, whether it's formally in a school or elsewhere. But, you know, that idea of challenging ideas and just thinking critically as a critical thinker, I think was something that I embraced earlier on. I was actually on the debate team. It was one of my favorite activities. And I just remember that interesting discipline, which is you go into a debate. My daughter right now is, is on the debate team. And I love it. What well, one, I have three kids. One of them's so is one of mine. Debate. <laughs> and I just love the idea that, you know, you take this argument and you're required to argue one side in the morning, and then you have to argue the other side in the afternoon. And I think that kind of way of thinking about the world, I think is, is tremendously important. And I think we don't have enough of that. And that ability to, to see both sides, to understand arguments, to, I think has led me to that kind of just general in, in, inquisitive uh, desire. And then again, I, I come back again, you know, not to, to repeat too much, but, you know, my dad as a venture capitalist has invested in a lot of businesses for his life. I, I was surrounded by someone, although I didn't really spend any time in his business. And I actually am not that attracted to the venture capital business per se. Um, I've really always been much more interested kind of on the operating business side and running a business. And I have some reasons that, 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 that I think that's the case, but it is that idea that there are new opportunities out there. And I was, but I mean, I was very lucky right now. Venture capital is, you know, it seems like everybody's a venture capitalist, you know, but, but back when I was growing up in the 1980s and I, it was, it was, it was rare. And I happened to live in a home with a great father and he happened to be one of those people. So I was seeing business plans and, you know, see things that he'd come home and talk about, whether it was, I, I remember him talking about salmon fisheries and, you know, <laughs> and, 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 you know, metal smelt, I mean, th- businesses that weren't, weren't media entertainment, but touched on kind of new approaches to problems and, and, and opportunities there. And then on the business side, again, I, I was exposed early on uh, to business in a way that I benefited from my, my, my father, my grandfather on my, on my mom's side owned a toy store up in, up in Albany, actually owned a couple of toy stores. So he okay. had been for his whole career, been in the retail business. And I am really one of the most fun experiences we would have as a family and as kids early on was going and working in that toy store. I mean, obviously it was a toy store that was fun, but but (laughs) anywhere where you could run a cash register or help restock shelves. I mean, there was a, it was a very unique, fun aspect of that. And then subsequently, I, I ran a, a baseball card business with my brother, my younger brother, and that actually lasted for five years. And we took it pretty seriously. We, for um, the holidays one year, we were given a hand truck so that we could transport our cards from, from one place to another. So that was like a big gift for us to get a yeah. hand truck so that we could like move boxes back and forth. But those types of things, they were just positive experiences. I love being around family. I love being around people. It's teamwork, building something. And you know, there's something really fun about being in the businesses I've been at, whether it's been Tribeca or NYCFC and soccer or now at Athletes Unlimited, where you're engaging with, with fans and consumers and community. And there's something that you know, I like people, I value relationships. And I think if you're 
someone who's in that regard extroverted that it's it's really fun to to be in a business that doesn't just have you behind a computer screen or you know doing the the, the work at a very abstract level. It's really you get to be there and, and see it happen and touch and feel it. It's it's terrific. Yeah, no, it, it sounds like and knowing your career and path and and where you are today, you know, you always like kind of being at the business at the beginning, building it, creating it. Can you talk a little bit about that with the Tribeca Film Festival? Because that, you know, people know it today as this incredible festival, but back when it was started and just how it came about was really as I believe, and you tell me if I'm wrong, after 9-11, really rebuilding downtown and and this was just one element of it. Was that something you are are proud of, helped to build? And, and what was that like? Yeah. Um, you know, and as we sit here, uh, you're right, in September, New York. Um, <laughs> right. It's fitting, fitting to have this conversation. Um, so I joined Tribeca in 2005. The first film festival happened uh, in 2002. So I kind of came on. Uh, there have been three festivals I was joining for yeah. the fourth. And it, that it was a point in time that is an interesting point in time, right? Because the Tribeca Film Festival had been started by Robert De Niro and Jane Rosenthal and Craig Hatkoff after 9-11. And it was very much started an idea they had to bring community and life back to to lower Manhattan after 9-11. It turned into this incredible event that really brought the city together. And what they, you know, they didn't have a long-term business plan like like some entrepreneurs. They, they just launched this and it took on a life of its own, right? With big partners and big sponsors and people looking to it, the global film community embracing it. So by the time they started talking to me in 2004, what had actually happened is they said, okay, this has gotten to a place where we, this is actually going to be around for a long time and we want some more full-time business people to come in and run it. And so I joined 2005 and ended up in a similar spot to everything we've just talked about. 99.9% of people who would, would have looked at this job opportunity. I was in a private equity, I should have said, I was in a private equity firm as an associate. I had a Wall Street job. I was Working at looking at analyzing media entertainment businesses, and I think most people would have said you're what, you're going to work at a film festival. This like doesn't make any sense. And instead, I actually looked at it honestly in a, in a very grandiose way as a mini Disney at the time. I said, "This is the Tribeca Film Festival." I went to the film festival in 2003 and 2004, and I remember the experience of watching a documentary and then meeting the filmmaker. And I said, yeah. this is an incredible experience. I mean, now again, that's something that it's much more common, but at that time. I didn't know that was the opportunity you could have. Could you actually talk to the creator uh, and break that kind of wall? And I said, this is an amazing experience. And I saw people were gathering and talking about ideas and you know, coming together around. You know, it was a global festival with creators from all over. And so I said, there's really a genesis here, a great brand. Of course, the founders were incredible people in their own right. I said, okay, let's make this into a multidimensional business opportunity. And over, I took the job, I went into it, and I spent the first few years of, of my time at Tribeca. I ended up being there 11 years. I would get that same question. So what do you do the rest of the year? You work at a film festival? You know, what are you talking about? You you went to Harvard Business School. You, and I said, <laughs> I, I kind of didn't let it bother me. I mean, it always kind of bothered me a little bit, but it didn't bother me significantly because I knew what we were building was an institution, for-profit enterprise with a lot of philanthropic activities on the side. And it ended up being something that Madison Square Garden ended up investing in. We ended up with big partnerships with lots of really interesting yes, marketing yeah. companies with ESPN, with Lionsgate at one point for a streaming service. We got into other verticals. We expanded internationally. Some things worked, some things didn't work. But at the end of the day, it all moved kind of in the direction that honestly I, I'd foreseen back in 2004. And obviously now the festival's 
you know, more than 20 years old and I still go back every year and I feel very proud of whatever I was able to, you know, contribute in a small way to. Well, you contributed certainly a lot and it's, it's so great as someone who loves New York city, it it was such an important part of the growth of the city post nine 11 and, and what it's become today is just incredible where people know it around the world. And I want to get into your current business. Just tell me, how did the idea happen? And then give us a uh, little background on what exactly Athletes Unlimited is. So to continue on from the Tribeca piece, you know, when I, uh, I decided that I was ready to move on from Tribeca, I got recruited to go run New York City Football Club, which is the men's professional soccer team in New York, owned in part by the Yankees and part by City Football Group, which is a, a global enterprise that owns soccer teams all around the world. I knew nothing really about soccer at all. I certainly grown up around sports. You mentioned the Tribeca connection with ESPN. So I certainly understand the media business and the sports, but never obviously been in a sports organization. I was fortunate that City Football Group was this creative group of people who were like, we want, we know all about soccer. We love what you've done with Tribeca. Help us bring that bring that to NYCFC. So I was there three years. I love that experience. It was amazing. The passion that exists for sports, the, as I said, the connection of the players and the fans and all the interesting dimension. I, I really loved it. But by the time 2018 rolled around, I had seen enterprise values, team valuations, growth in soccer in the three years I was there that were just you know dramatic. New teams were coming in. Expansion fees had gone from 100 million to 200. Now they're up at north of 300. I said, there's so much value being created here. What do you, John Patrickoff, as an entrepreneur, like where maybe can you find a space that you can kind of play a role and create some value? And I also looked around at that time and was consistently struck by the women's game. And so when I took, I got introduced and had a couple of meetings around what was going on in the NWSL, which is the, the Women's Soccer League at the time. And I was just shocked at how difficult it was, how much, how, la- how, how little investment was going into it. And yet at the same time, I knew that the power of the of of some of the women's soccer players was quite frankly bigger and, and yeah. larger than their counterparts on the men's side. And I said, in a world where individual athletes are going to be more important, where social media is more important, where storytelling is more important, I think that you know women's soccer has huge opportunities. So I led, I went down a path in 2018 of exploring opportunities in the NWSL and the WNBA. During that process, I met Jonathan Soros, uh, who's now my fellow co-founder in Athletes Unlimited. We looked at a lot of opportunities in, in, in those leagues together. And then on Christmas Eve of 2018, Jonathan and I had breakfast and he said, listen, John, this has been great. I think you really identified a space that I'd love to be involved in, but I think we should not invest in the NWSL or WNBA. I think we should start something from scratch. And I like to joke that as any entrepreneur who is looking for partners, you know, does, you know, you say, that's great. I love that idea. Let's figure it all out together. But then when I left breakfast, I walked away and say, this is terrible. Like it's over this. He wants to go create something from scratch. How are we ever going to get this done? Does he know how hard this is going to be? Nonetheless, in 2019, we spent a lot of time talking to one another, refining ideas, thinking about what might be possible in the spring. We said, okay, we think we have a structure or an idea. Um, which then became Athletes Unlimited. And the idea was, if we're going to start from scratch a network of pro sports leagues, let's do them in a way that is suited for what the athletes need and for what fans are looking for. And that led us to a few different key principles, shorter seasons in one location where fans would follow players rather than fixed teams. And as we like to say, 
for many years, the women's sports model and any new sports league has just simply copied the model that's existed in the NFL or Major League Baseball and just really tried to replicate it. And while I love those leagues and love that model in a lot of regards, I think for a lot of sports, it doesn't, it's not, it's certainly not the only choice. And I don't think it's the best choice. And so what we've done with it with, with Athletes Unlimited is create a new model again that's very athlete-centric, that is is designed to to really connect the players to, to fans directly. And since our that the, those planning sessions in 2019, you know, we put the business plan together. We assembled a group of players. And in March of 2020, we announced softball would be our first league in the summer of 2020. Obviously, March of 2020 was a tumultuous time to say the least, but we went forward. And in August, we launched softball uh, as our first league in 2020 with games on ESPN and CBS and world-class players. The Olympics had been canceled and we had incredible world-class players. And then since then, which is now really just two years, we've launched, uh, we've had four softball seasons. We've had two lacrosse seasons, had two volleyball seasons and one basketball season. So it's been incredible. We've grown to 50 people actually located in 20 some uh, 20 states, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's so um, crazy. Teams all over the world. But it's a great group of, of partners on the broadcast side and also on the marketing side. So it's really been an incredibly exciting two years. And for me, it's the first time I've ever started something from scratch because I was involved early at Tribeca. I was involved early at NYCFC, but I'd never really started something from the ground up. And, and that's been an incredible experience. More from our guest, but first, a word from our sponsors. Whether you need digital tools so you can bank on the go, or you need a one-on-one with an experienced business banker, with PNC Bank, you got it. PNC's business banking team is built entirely around the way you like to do business. Innovative mobile tools that let you manage your cash flow, monitor your payments and more around the clock. Give you the flexibility that every business owner needs. And PNC combines those digital tools with a team of business bankers who are ready to sit down and talk about the unique needs of your business and help you develop personalized strategies to move your business forward. Learn how PNC Bank can make a difference for you and your business at pnc.com slash bank your way. PNC Bank, National Association member, FDIC. And our next sponsor. NordPass Business is a platform where your company's digital wealth is managed. Over 60% of organizations report that access issues impact their productivity regularly. In the same report, 31% said access issues are the source of daily disruptions to the workflow. Repeated delays cause frustration and workflow friction and threaten the timely delivery of your projects. How can you eliminate these disruptions and increase your productivity? With the NordPass Business Password Manager, you'll save time and energy, allowing your team to focus on what matters most. NordPass eases the burden of access to business accounts, making it possible for your team to work across devices and apps uninterrupted. Log in, share, and make payments efficiently, backed by the highest standard of cybersecure technology. See NordPass Business in action now with a three-month free trial here at nordpass.com slash entrepreneur with code entrepreneur. And we're back. First, I have to say, I love women's softball. I watch that on ESPN. I play softball. So I, every year, I try and get my girls to watch. But 
I'm a major uh, fan and, and it is incredible to think, you know, with so many of these athletes, so many other sports aside from basketball, there aren't post opportunities, right? But I want to ask you in going back, you had the conversation with Jonathan, your eventual partner, and it sounds like, and I know the feeling you're walking out after that meeting and you're like, how am I going to, what was it that finally you said, you know what? I like this. I'm going to go for it. Yeah. I think one of the things that I have done pretty well, and it, and it existed at Tribeca at some level too, is that I've enjoyed... I mean, listen, I think partnerships are incredibly important in business. I mean, some people are great sole entrepreneurs and really can lead. but And some people obviously are great at managing big teams. I've had good experience working with one or two partners. And what's great is that Jonathan is incredibly smart and so creative. And then I, I think I am, in some respects, less creative uh, maybe even, and, and I'll, I'll give him the credit, he would say, you know, he, he's smarter than I am, but I think I'm really a good compliment in terms of, okay, let's, how, how do we shape it? How do we maybe narrow it down? I'm a, maybe a little bit more where the rubber hits the road. And, and I think that's, it makes for a great partnership. And what was great is that when he threw out that, this kind of big transformative idea, I did think that I was then able to apply it to some things I knew. And it started to, I started to familiar stuff. So what I started to say is one of the big challenges I think that exists for a lot of new leagues that I'd, I'd had this challenge at NYCFC is playing in Yankee Stadium, which is iconic and wonderful. And it's a 45,000 seat stadium. Yeah. And when we got 20,000 people or 25,000, which is awesome, it still felt half empty. Mm-hmm. So it, I did say to John, I said, well, okay, there is a big challenge. If you could figure out in a startup league how to make the cost model more efficient, that would really, really be a big deal. And so Okay, he said, all right, so what do you mean by that? And then we started to frame that out. We said, okay, what if we don't travel from city to city? What if everything's in one location? Then the second topic was really the connection to the athletes because I did see in pro sports, it was, I loved my time. I'm still obviously involved in NYCFC, but what happens in pro sports today is there is a, a pretty big gap between the team owners, the people that run the league, the people that run the team, the athletes. I mean, there's a, everyone wants to collaborate and everyone's good at it, but, but they, it is structured as a very segmented operation. And so John and I talked and eventually in the early stages of planning, met with a group of players and said, all right, well, let, what if we bring the players in as profit participants? What if they're involved in the management and leadership and, and helping us drive the direction? So very early on in Athletes Unlimited, we created these player executive committees. We started with the player executive could be in softball. Now we have them in all of our sports. And I said, okay, I see this. All of a sudden, this is the freedom we could have to work collaboratively with players so that it's not this segmentation between you know the stratification that exists in so much in sports. So those ideas, when you're able to apply them to things you've seen before and address them, I think helps helped me kind of uh, structure and frame the opportunity. And how have the players reacted to having these extra, you know, responsibilities, yeah. so to speak? It's interesting you frame it that way because the player executive committees have been absolutely incredible. It's probably been one of the highlights of my experience at AU is in each sport, we have five players. It's an additional responsibility and there's actually additional compensation that comes with it relatively small about being on player executive because it's hard work. It's real work, right? Not only do they recruit the players and identify players, but we run pretty much every business and operational decision by them. And they have, in many cases, the final say, not always the final say, but oftentimes they have have the final say or a huge voice. Um, And it's been, it's been tremendous. And I think for a lot of them, I mean, they're, they're so naturally talented as individuals, as leaders, uh, you know, as hard workers, I mean, they're, they're all, they're all so accomplished that, 
they've been amazing, amazing partners in it. But you're right to point out that it is interesting because you would think you would think involving people decisions is always a positive, but sometimes it can make things more complicated. In our case, it's worked incredibly well. I think it's helped us avoid a lot of things we would have done wrong for certain. And it is shocking. And we talk about this in business a lot about like asking the consumer, speaking to the consumer, but it's also with employees and others. I think there is in some organizations a real hesitation of like involving people in decisions or asking people. And I think for us, this has been just a massive benefit. And I would say a top three reason we've been able to be even as successful as we are today, and, and we still have a long way to go, but but it's been a huge, huge important factor. What have been some of the biggest challenges that you have faced? And now as an entrepreneur with your own business, things that you might not have prepared for, or just certain things you didn't think about prior that really became challenges and maybe you overcame them. Is there anything specific I mean, there are a lot. I, I would say, um, first of all, I, I should say that for people who, uh, who are listening who don't follow women's professional sports, I mean, this is an amazing moment right now. We're living in a, in a, in a great time for women's pro sports. I mean, not you, you, we've mentioned the WNBA a couple times um, right now, you know, heading into the WNBA finals, the ratings have been up, the league is, you know, now and it's it's been around for more than 25 years. It's really having a great moment. Women's soccer is having an incredible, like, you know, moment both in the US, but also now around the world as well. And the NWSL has, has really had a great period of growth. That's now happening in Europe and in, in, in other parts of the world in a very, very significant way. It is going to hit people really, really quickly. People, if you're not, if people aren't realizing it now, they're going to realize that in the next couple of years. Um, you've got, tremendous and real money going into it, real investment going into it in sizable amounts for us. So that's soccer and that's basketball in other sports. Obviously you have tennis and you have golf and individual sports, but outside that athletes unlimited runs four pro leagues. Um, our basketball league is a complement of the WNBA, but in lacrosse, we're the only league in the world in volleyball. We're one of many. It's a huge sport, but we are the pro league in the United States. And then we, as you've mentioned, we're the pro league in softball. So we've, taken a different approach, also a very unique approach because there's no pro sports organization that operates across four sports. You know, the NBA does a lot in basketball or NFL does a lot in football, but we took this approach, which I think is another big advantage of trying to put multiple sports under this one umbrella and this one brand. And now 250 athletes, because we have roughly 50, 60 athletes per sport. They're now a big network of athletes. I think it's a huge opportunity for you know advertisers or partners or media companies because we've got scale. And I and I believe scale is, is incredibly important. So all of that in the case, I mean, I think that I wrote about it today. I posted something on LinkedIn. I think the biggest challenge is we live in a world where growth and competition, everyone wants more growth. The competition is 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 intense. So it's that pressure internally of like, how do you celebrate the wins, know where you're going and and honestly, probably just don't burn yourself out, right? Because it, it's a long race. And, and that's what I think all of us in business know. I mean, I'm not, I was at Tribeca 11 years. I know CFC was three. I see myself being at AU, you know, for a long time. I, I have no, I'm, this is not like come in, build something and then move on. I, that's not me. I, I love what I'm doing and I want to keep growing this. So the key is how do you keep that just trajectory of, of, of energy going in the right direction? And um, we've built an amazing team at AU. Um, I, I believe that the culture, I think we've done a really great job. I've been, it, it's, it's very, it's been very rewarding. I, this is the first time I've been the CEO and, uh, and a co-founder and 
I think one of the greatest responsibilities and honors that comes with that is getting to build a culture, getting to have a real impact on how people come to work every day and how they experience their work-life balance and all those things. So I'm very proud of what we get to do there. I take that as a, as a real honor and, and responsibility. So to me, that is is the big is the big challenge and where I, where I try to spend a lot of my time. You know, I saw what you wrote on LinkedIn and I really took to it today because when you look at LinkedIn, I mean, this obviously happens on other social media platforms, but you look on LinkedIn and especially why I love this podcast or format is that you see all these people posting all of their successes and this and I'm guilty of it. And you think, you know, that's the way to kind of go out there and show everything you're doing. But sometimes when that happens and when people do that, it's obviously there's personal jealousy. There's, I want to hear about some of the, the hard stories, how they overcame things. And, and it does make it very difficult because it, I know for me, at least sometimes when I see those things, it makes me feel worse about myself in certain mm-hmm. situations. And it's so hard to overcome. And I, I really enjoyed and related to, to kind of what you've wrote, but it seems to me, and I'm curious your thoughts on that, but you also, with your business, this is much bigger than just, this is really mission driven for women's sports and women's lives but not to throw too many questions at you, but I'm curious your thoughts on that LinkedIn post and then also having a mission-driven business if if you consider it one. Yeah. So, I mean, LinkedIn post was was something, like I said, that just really came up, but it, but it did strike me because I think a lot, of, I mean, all of us, I think in many respects put a lot of pressure on ourselves as much as there is coming from external external sources. And then I think I did, I do realize that I get really fired up, you know, when I hear what other people are doing. And I'm, I'm, I enjoy and, and am so pleased for other people's success. But, but you're right. There is, a, I want to admit, there's a human aspect of this. Yeah. Just, I like, you know, where do I go or how do I do that? And then I want to be very clear. I'm thinking about that in the context of our business, not really personally, John Patrickov. I'm thinking about it as Athletes yeah. Unlimited. And it's awesome because I get so much positive praise. My God, look at what you've accomplished in two years. You've got four leagues up and running, but I'm always kind of wanting to do better and, you know, make this even more successful on behalf of myself, the employees, the athletes, of course, our investors, everybody. So I don't know, you have to manage that. And I think it's, it takes, it takes, it takes a lot of work as for being a mission driven business. I think that I have a lot of thoughts on that. I mean, I think that when I left private equity and went to Tribeca, I didn't consciously think of it, but it obviously has shaped the last 20 years of my career because because from that, then to moving into sports, you know, that's now roughly 20 years. And when I arrived at Tribeca, I just, it was part of the DNA. It was, it was infused in the culture. I saw the connections between them. And then when I moved into sports at NYCFC and now certainly at Athletes Unlimited in, in, in a really, really big way, it's hard for me. I mean, that is my, that is my perspective on business in the world. I think that, that, um, I think it is the case now that so many companies, thankfully, are putting mission at the at, at the yeah. kind of center of what they do. I think that along with that comes a lot of marketing speak and a lot of positioning. And I think we all need to be very conscious of that. And I'm very conscious of that. I think Jonathan, Jonathan Soros, my partner, is very conscious of that because I think he's been in the world of philanthropy and not-for-profits and, and, and building organizations. And I think he's very careful about you know, what's what's said and what's real. And I think we really want to focus on what's real and, and and less about talking about it and more doing the work. And 
we do have a very substantial focus at AU, which is uplifting athletes as civic leaders. A real belief that, and this is infused in my experience from soccer and now here, which was that it is really the case that sports can have a positive impact on the world. I really do believe that. I think it's one of these incredible places where people of different views and opinions can come together and putting aside any agendas at all. It's really a place where we can create community and create positivity. Now, one of the things that you see, and I'm, you know, talk about a negative, I mean, NFL season launched last night. And like, you know, one of the stories that comes out of it is, you know, fans fighting in the parking lot, right? Drunken fans. That is something that has colored Jonathan and my, my desire to what we don't want to create with Athletes Unlimited. And it's one of the reasons we don't have fixed teams in our sports, because I do think there's this geographic rivalry and crushing the other team. You know, it's not all positive. And so I think what we've tried to do with Athletes Unlimited is kind of dismantle that a little bit. Clearly, we are in team sports. What people learn about our, our, our model is athletes can't perform well on our leaderboard unless they are on successful teams. But what we do is we change the teams each week. So it's about how do you create success? successful teams in a short period of time? How do you perform well on those teams? How do you consistently be a leader? And how do you be a really good participant in the league as a whole? And that's really fun. And that, that, that's really exciting. Um, the other part that's very uh, new and, and different about our, our, our business is our capital structure. So Jonathan and the other investors have invested in what is uh, called mission equity. So they've all agreed to a, a cap on their financial returns. Um, the investor decides whether it's 10% annually or 6% annually or less than that. And above that uh, rate, any profits that come down the road will go to the players and wow. to our civic mission. So that's a very, very innovative concept that also has potential kind of implications beyond sport. And, and I do think that's the other thing that's great about sports and culture entertainment, which is there's a lot of things that happen here first and then move on to other industries. So I think that excites me, right? It excites me to do what we're doing. It excites me to to be working with these athletes, uplifting them, helping create hopefully more income opportunities and more professional opportunities and ultimately benefit them. But obviously there's clearly a lot of spillover effects that are that are a really exciting part of what we get to do. Yeah, it's incredible what you both have done in building this. It, it wasn't your typical, let's start a, a softball league, right? And use the same formula. I mean, you really flipped this on its head and I love the fact, you know, it's it's so interesting. I've never considered a league where, okay, you know, it's athlete driven and you're playing on a different team. But that to me is pretty incredible, especially the fact you guys are have launched, you know, several leagues at once. It's knowing being in sports, working in sports, how how difficult that is. But I do love the civic you know, leadership part. And I know you also, I guess it, it's called a, a public benefit corporation. Is that, what exactly does that entail? Yeah. So Athletes Unlimited has been set up as a public benefit corporation. So the des people have heard of B Corps and, and B Corps mm -hmm. are a type of public benefit corporation, but fundamentally to be a public benefit corporation, what you acknowledge in your charter is that beyond shareholders, you are committing to work for the benefit of all the stakeholders in an organization. So employees, fans, the broader community. And remember, you know, what something is what you'll hear in a in a boardroom somewhere for companies that aren't public benefit corporations is listen, it has to be about the shareholders first. And anything we're doing not to benefit the shareholders is not consistent with our charter. The directors can be, you know, sued by investors, others. As a public benefit corporation, what you're doing is formally acknowledging that 
these other stakeholders are constituencies that we are entitled as a board and as as managers to to, to consider. And so that's the structure that we have. Um, all of our investors have obviously bought into the fact that we're a public benefit corporation. And that then lays the ground for, obviously, for a lot of the work we do. I mentioned the work we do around civic leadership. We've made a number of other commitments in the space specifically around supporting our, our players as moms and mothers. And, and it's a big issue that we're, we think is one that is a very significant one for the broader U.S. economy as a whole, which is how how moms are engaged in, 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 in the workforce. We've made significant commitments with respect to sustainability. We're the first pro sports league to, to commit to being carbon neutral. And we've done that in partnership with a company called Aspiration. Great. It's been a great partner. So we really have have made a number of commitments and a number of areas of focus. And and yeah, listen, it's been, it's important to me, it's important to Jonathan, but it's incredibly important to the athletes. We hear it from many athletes that it's a big reason they love playing with athletes. And it's very important to our employees and our fans as well. We see it consistently. They all care. And I think that makes it even that much more meaningful. Before I let you go, I want to ask you one question. You know, I was kind of going to ask what's next or what's the next six months or year. And most entrepreneurs, you know, that's how you're looking at your business. But if you could envision 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road, women's sports, athletes unlimited as of course, part of that, what would be that dream vision right now that you have that would be happening, not just here in the United States, but globally? Yeah, I think that the fundamental question in sports, in my opinion, is is youth participation and kids continuing to play sports. One thing we are finding, right, and we're all seeing, there's more kids sitting behind computers, there's more kids up taking up other activities. I think it's incredibly valuable and pretty important for kids to be playing sports, team sports in particular. And so the big vision for AU is that the model that we've introduced can help engage younger people even more than they already are in sports. Um, I think that there's a lot of like, you know, it's another podcast. We have to, we'd, have, we'd have to do, spend more time on it, but that is the big challenge and the yeah. big opportunity. I'll point out one thing that's really exciting. We, we've seen a number of college programs adopt the Athletes Unlimited model in in some of their spring training or call their fall training in the case of softball. So University of Arkansas is has their has their fall season right now. They're going to play some games against some other schools, but then they actually do a few uh, days of af- what they call Razorbacks Unlimited, where they play intra-squad games and use our model. I would love to see more and more kids participating in sports, using our model, being excited, understanding the importance of team and teamwork, but also you know having that excitement that comes with you know, seeing themselves move up and down and, and knowing that sports is a great place to, to learn life lessons and, and, and hopefully, you know, bring people together. And so that's really the vision. And I hope we can be a part of it. I love that. You know, it's funny. It just struck me because my youngest is going to play softball this year at school and it's new to her. And one of the hesitations she always had was everyone knows each other on the team and, and there's certain ways. And I'm just thinking to myself, you know what? If you had the unlimited vert, like you'd be switching up and it would get her out there. And 
That's really fascinating. But um, John, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Always great to talk to you and wish you the best of luck. What you're doing is much bigger than, you know, when I look at some of the businesses and people I interview, especially just for for not just women, men as well, and fathers. And it's really exciting. So thanks again for your time and, and joining us today on How Success Happens. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to How Success Happens wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Wednesday morning, and you don't want to miss it. And if you like to share, please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost, and I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hsh at entrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman, that's R-O-B-E-R-T-T-U-C-H-M-A-N, or even send me a message on LinkedIn. How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business, or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine. No joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman, just a fellow entrepreneur and your host. See you soon.